Well, thank you very much for a uh, very generous introduction. Uh, can I uh, thank uh, uh, the Vice-Chancellor, can I acknowledge Sally and acknowledge uh, that we're meeting on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people. Pay my respects not only to the, the Elders, but also to all First Nations people present today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here at UTS. Uh, this is where my mum finished her career, working in the International Studies Centre. Uh, so I have uh, many fond family memories of uh, the UTS campus. Uh, this is also an institution which has a fine tradition of bringing uh, innovation alongside uh, its education mission. Uh, I spent some time with Murray Herps, your first Director of Entrepreneurship, and the work that he's doing trying to give half of your students uh, an entrepreneurial experience uh, is, I think, uh, a nation-changing innovation uh, and one which all universities can learn from, certainly something that I've written about in the past and which I greatly admire. Um, can I also thank uh, the uh, Human, Human Technology Institute's uh, uh, work for your willingness to partner with the government on the MyGov advisory group and also on issues such as AI regulation. Let's start with the story. Every year, thousands of patients miss their hospital appointments. It costs money, contributes to backlogs and delays, and means that appointments can't be allocated to others in need. Some 15% of outpatient appointments at St Vincent's Hospital, just down the road in Darlinghurst, used to be missed each year, despite patients being sent reminders. St Vincent's estimated that each missed appointment cost at least $125 to the hospital. That could add up to half a million dollars a year, despite the hospital sending patients SMS reminders at their upcoming appointments. That's half a million dollars that could have been spent on treating other patients. In 2015, the Behavioural Insights team from the UK found that SMS reminders which highlight the specific cost of a missed appointment effectively reduced hospital no-shows by almost 3%. The UK trial found that what you say and how you say it makes a difference. So the following year, the New South Wales Behavioural Insights Unit partnered with St Vincent's to put the UK findings to the test in the Australian context. They ran two randomised trials to work out if changing the existing text messages could make a difference for attendance rates at St Vincent's. Text messages were sent to nearly 7,500 patients covering about two-thirds of St Vincent's outpatient appointments over 13 months. In the first trial, seven new SMS messages were sent to patients while a control group received the hospital's standard reminder text. In the second trial, the two most effective tests from the first trial were sent out to patients. The messages told patients what it would cost the hospital if they didn't turn up for their appointment and that the money that, was, uh, that, that they cost the hospital could have been used to help others. Based on the trial outcomes, the hospital adopted new text messaging techni techniques and reduced no-shows by 19%. If you've been paying attention, we're talking $100,000. The trial also helped the hospital to better understand people and their context by analysing whose behaviour was most affected by the messages. It removed chance from the equation when trying to change patients' behaviour. St Vincent's approach has been adopted at other hospitals with success and demonstrates the value of rigorously testing an idea and committing to using it at scale when the approach works. 
Now, I know your focus uh, yesterday was very much on artificial intelligence, and I'm very happy in the Q&A uh, to delve into all aspects of AI, ranging from how politicians are using it, to how consultants are using it, uh, to how coders are using it, to how I use it as a parent. But my focus today is going to be on another aspect of decision science, randomised trials. We know randomised trials can support good decision making. They've been shown over many years to be one of the best ways of determining whether a policy or program is effective, whether it needs modification, or if it should be dropped altogether. Advances in data science also support effective governments and businesses to make good decisions. High quality data monitoring can be used to build feedback loops that enable organisations to improve decision making through compelling evidence about how policies and programs are impacting on outcomes on the ground. Experiments and trials can surprise us by revealing where interventions are not as effective as we'd hoped. In other words, randomised trials and data science can help shift the dial. They enable us to test new interventions against would have happened, what would have happened if we changed nothing. Randomised trials help us to understand causation, not just correlations. And importantly, we now have a great range of examples of randomised trials leading to policy and practice improvements across a range of domains. One of them is in the case of understanding electricity bills. Enabling consumers to make better decisions about the products they purchase is good for their hip pocket and important for the broader economy. But it's not always easy to motivate people to change even when it's in their interests. Most consumers won't engage with their electricity companies to find a better deal or plan that suits their individual needs, unless they're moving house or facing another significant life event. This could be because consumers themselves are time poor, overloaded with information from multiple sources, or struggling to keep up with changes in technology, systems and processes. Or consumers simply don't understand what their energy provider is trying to tell them. Effective communication makes a huge difference. To this end, the Australian Energy Regulator introduced mechanisms to increase consumer engagement in the energy market. Many of those mechanisms have been tested through online randomised trials, including work figuring out how energy bills are communicated to consumers. The Behavioural Insights team of the Australian Government conducted a series of six online trials of consumer comprehension, testing things such as the length of the bill, the complexity of the content, uh, including information about how the bill was calculated and information about whether a consumer is on an offer that suits their needs. The results of those online trials, as well as previous randomised trials, informed the regulator's approach to issuing consumer energy bills, including through the Better Bill Guidelines. The approach has been one of testing and applying the lessons learned over time and it's led to steady improvements in the way energy bills are presented to consumers. Randomised trials such as these should and could be routinely used to test new and existing programs across all levels of government. With the right design, randomised trials can be cheaper and simpler than often supposed. Positive results can lead to improvements in processes, regulation and outcomes, and they show where further improvement is warranted. But as we know, randomised trials can also be informative for decision-making, even when they deliver surprising results. The fact is, sometimes when you conduct a trial, you'll get a null result. The evidence doesn't support continuing the pro policy or the program. 
Even if this is a disappointing outcome for those who designed the program, the findings are still informative for decision making. With around one in five students likely to leave university without a degree, the Behavioural Economics team, funded by the Department of Social Services, conducted research to understand how disadvantaged students bounce back from setbacks. The research pointed to feelings of belonging as an important contributor to student resilience. The research team used these behavioural insights to build a gamified app called Grok, which, is meant to under, under, which means to understand something deeply, a term coined by science writer uh, Robert Heinlein. More than 4,000 students downloaded the Grok app, which featured an interactive Zen garden and activities to gather friends and grow resilience skills. But a randomised trial of students from the University of Newcastle and Western Sydney University found no difference in key outcomes between those who had access to Grok and those who did not. In this case, testing the app led to evidence that, that it did not achieve what it was hoped for. In light of these results, the researchers took a step back and reconsidered what other approaches could be used to support students' resilience. They ultimately decided the multi-pronged approach, reaching more students through multiple avenues, might be able to capture more at-risk students before non-completion. Sometimes we have strong expectations about what will work, but we still need to test ideas to confirm whether they do, because we can get surprising results that are counter to our predictions. Take efforts to increase participation in the Adult Migrant English program as an example. The Department of Home Affairs runs the Free Language program, which increases social connectedness and improves student, uh, student outcomes. Although there's about 50,000 migrants enrolled in the program at any one time, more migrants are eligible for the program that do not participate. With the aim of increasing uptake, the Behavioural Economics team partnered with Home Affairs to run two randomised trials in 2021-22. First, they tested whether sending a letter and email in English or translated to someone's home language would lead to more program registrations. Second, they tested text messages sent to participants who'd left the program early, again, both in English and in the person's home language. And they tested sending text messages from Home Affairs and for the from the program provider. Based on the user testing process, researchers hypothesised that there would be higher levels of registration for those who received the translated version compared to the English version. But surprisingly, translating communications into someone's home language did not increase engagement with the Adult Migrant English program. What this example shows is that rigorous randomised trials always have something to teach us. We should always be prepared to put an idea to the test to see if it works in practice. They help us decide which programs and policies should get the green light, which need to be modified, and which need to get the axe. Robust trials give you the evidence you need to make the call, those calls with confidence. Knowing that experiments can be helpful isn't enough on its own. Government also needs the capability and data access to deliver great trials. The OECD ranks Australia highly on regulation, data availability and accessibility. We enjoy above average citizen confidence and satisfaction in public services. But there's plenty of room for improvement. In 2018, an independent panel was asked to examine the capability, culture and operating model of the Australian public service. It led to the Thody Review, named after David Thody, who led the independent panel. And it found that the public service approach to evaluation was piecemeal in both scope and quality. And that this was a significant barrier to evidence-based decision making. 
The Thidee Review recommended that a culture of evaluation and learning for experience, from experience should be embedded in the public service. Randomised trials are being explored in a range of topics and contexts, ranging from the education to the environment, from crime to health. And last year, we established the Australian Centre for Evaluation within the Treasury. The centre aims to give leadership and make rigorous evaluation the norm for policy development. Over time, it'll improve the volume, quality and impact of evaluations in the public service. It'll champion high-quality impact evaluation and partner with other government agencies to initiate a small number of high-profile evaluations every year. It'll promote the use of evaluation and improve evaluation capabilities, practices and culture across government. It'll put evidence at the heart of policy design and decision-making. To achieve this, the Australian Centre for Evaluation is building a network of partnerships across the public sector. Currently manages a fast-growing community of practice with over 650 members. It's working to increase the sector's capability with in-person and online training modules on high-quality impact evaluation. Well, we know that a single unit in a vast national public service can't do it all. That evaluation centre is supported by a network of units across departments and agencies, including the Behavioural Economics Team Australia and the Office of Impact Analysis in the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. The goal is to incorporate evidence in decision-making, so it becomes a systematic, routine way of working. Eleanor Williams, the Managing Director of the Australian Centre for Evaluation, has joined us here today, and will be taking part in the panel discussion to share her insights. Internal and external partnerships will be crucial to improving evaluation across government. That, include, that includes partnerships within and across Australian government departments. One such partnership is between the Australian Centre for Evaluation and the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations for testing changes to online employment services. Employment services are a significant investment for government and affect many people. 4.6% of the Australian adult population receive some form of unemployment support. A series of five randomised trials will be conducted looking at various aspects of online employment services. They'll test variations of time spent in online services, improvements to communication methods and support and tools for clients. They'll look at whether those changes improve employment outcomes. And the evidence generated will help improve and adapt online service delivery to meet the needs of the people using it. Importantly, all those trials are subject to a robust ethical framework, consistent with the National Statement on Ethical Conduct in Human Research. The trial's outputs will inform the government's response to the House Select Committee's inquiry into Workforce Australia Employment Services. Building on that model, the Australian Centre for Evaluation is now establishing operational partnerships with other large government departments, including the Department of Health and Aged Care, to roll out further robust impact evaluations. The second form of partnerships for the Australian Centre for Evaluation is with organisations and individuals external to the public service, including academics. We know that there's a great, a great deal of expertise in impact evaluation, AI and data science outside the public service. Many people in this room have significant expertise in new and novel methods for considering causation and in using AI and machine learning to aid this work. It's crucial we build bridges between sectors and learn from one another to ensure our research has the impact we hope for. The goal is to use the best knowledge generated in the public, private and academic sectors to enhance public policy and decision making, ultimately improving the lives of Australians.
We know there's new and promising emerging approaches, such as Bayesian adaptive trials, that have potential applications for government policy. The Australian Centre for Evaluation is working to explore how these new kinds of innovative approaches and explore the innovative approaches can be best used in their work. The Centre's first impact evaluation showcase will be held in the middle of the year. It'll bring together policymakers, evaluators and academics to discuss the benefits and challenges of incorporating high quality evidence into decision making. I also want to briefly reflect on the Australian Government's other substantial moves towards using large-scale integrated data and AI to better respond to the challenges we face. Beyond the promise of great experiments, we recognise there's enormous scope to use government data assets to provide useful information to help shape policy setting. In recent years, the Australian Bureau of Statistics has developed large-scale integrated data sets, including what's now known as the Person-Level Integrated Data Asset, or PLIDA, which brings together information on health, education, government payments, income, taxation, employment and population demographics, including the census. This presents the opportunities to better understand how people travel between services and also to track the intended and unintended impacts of policy changes. At the end of last year, there were 204 active projects using these integrated data. That included projects that aimed to support the agriculture sector with better labour demand forecasts, explore the health and socioeconomic factors driving poor early development outcomes for children, gain policy insights from elevating, uh, investigating elevated levels of mental health disorders among students and recipients of income support, and produce a stronger evidence base for decisions about disaster mitigation and recovery. Importantly, all projects using the integrated data for policy analysis go through a, research, a rigorous assessment and approval process, meeting key safety and ethical thresholds. These examples show how the powerful use of integrated data uh, can be used through traditional research methods. But over time, as generative AI develops and matures, and government builds its capacity to use these tools, they'll also present new and innovative approaches for government. Government's conscious of the rapid evolution of artificial intelligence tools and the growing demand for guidance to help assess the risks in their uses. It's great that people are coming together at events like today's to discuss these exciting new technologies and their ability to improve efficiencies and enhance public services. I began with examples of how randomised trials have provided new insights as to what works. At the heart of a randomised trial in medicine or public policy is chance. When people are allocated to the treatment or control group based on luck, then we know that any observed difference must be due to the impact of the treatment. We're often told by our parents, don't leave it to chance. But by deliberately using chance in the structure of an evaluation, we set ourselves up to succeed. We're not hoping for dumb luck. We're using luck to determine causal impacts, just as pharmaceutical manufacturers do when they're testing whether a new treatment helps patients. From the perspective of the trial participant, chance decides which group they fall into. From the standpoint of the researcher, all those chance allocations add up to an approach that's as rigorous as it can be. Making good public policy can be hard. We need to raise the bar by making sure that claims about a policy or program's effectiveness are based on quality evidence. We need to be working at the intersection of technology, policy and people. 
We need to better use data and technology to track our progress towards safe, fair and inclusive outcomes. We know we can achieve this by bringing together expertise from government, academia and industry. We can connect people, researchers and opportunities to increase the benefits that rigorous evidence and data science can deliver. By deploying chance in the service of policy change, we can shape the world for the better. Thanks very much.